Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, it's nice to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. It's great to be here with you. Um, my name is Sean York, and I want to preface this message by telling you I am currently a recovering United Methodist pastor. And, um, and, but it is an honor to be here in this house, especially a Baptist house, because you guys need to know I grew up and had grandparents that were devout Southern Baptists. And so I grew up as a young boy in a Baptist church. And so if my grandmother were alive and she were here today, she would see that her prayers prevailed because she always wanted to have a grandchild that, that was preaching in a Baptist church. So I'm doing it today. And so Granny prayed me up here, but it, it is an honor to be here with you uh, this morning. You know, I want to tell you, in the Baptist church, when I grew up, I thought that fried chicken was a holy sacrament because it was something that we did every Sunday after church. And, uh, my, you know, have you ever heard the saying that, you know, uh, fried chicken is highly flavored and anointed with oil, and it's the gospel bird, Amen. So Jeff told me that I could only preach for about an hour and 45 minutes this morning. So as soon as I'm finished, I'll release you to go eat that chicken. Amen? All right. Uh, my children, I, I'm going to poke fun at them for a minute. My, my, two of my teenagers are here, Jackson and Julie, and they're with my wife, Marilee. Um, I have another daughter, Tyson, um, who isn't here, and then we have um, a baby that's in the nursery. But we attended a church a couple of weeks back, and while we were there, my children counted how many times the pastor said amen. And so I found great hope and encouragement that they were paying attention. Amen? So if you guys want to count how many times I say amen this morning, that is fine. As Kevin told you, I am uh, the founder, my wife and I are the founders of Isaiah's House International, which we'll get into that in a few minutes. But this morning, I want to really share with you a journey and a story, a, a, a testimony of, of God's goodness in the midst of, of life. And, um, and, and so I want to, before I start... Um, Sharing this message, I want to take the opportunity and just acknowledge and thank uh, Pastor Jeff for inviting me and enabling me to come here. And, and uh, it takes a lot of courage for a pastor to surrender their pulpit because when you allow someone to come and speak for you, you, you place your entire congregation at the mercy of the person speaking. And uh, Jeff not only has allowed me to speak here, but he's gone out of town. And so, Jeff, I appreciate your trust in me. And, um, and then I would just ask of each of every one of you, if you'll lower your expectations this morning, then you're going to leave well pleased. Amen? Before we look at God's Word and before I share this story, I want to set the bar for something that I believe in ministry and I believe as Christians, especially in a day and a time where we live in what we're living in with so much uncertainty and it seems like half of the world is headed towards the kingdom and the other half of the world is headed towards hell. Amen? But there's a, a bar that I want to establish for the Word of God, and I believe Paul takes care of this for each and every one of us as believers in Romans chapter 1, and verses 16 and 17. For Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means we preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. 
And as believers, we don't have to apologize for the Word of God because the Word says that it was written to reveal the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. For in its righteousness, it, meaning the Word of God, the Word of God, the written Word, the Logos, is righteous. And it reveals the righteous, righteousness of God. And it does so because it reveals it to us so that we can operate and live from the Word says, faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Friends, life is a journey of faith. Amen? In the moments of uncertainty and things in life where we don't understand, we, we can only operate in faith. And when we operate in faith, it releases in the spiritual realm God's ability to do work in and through us. He doesn't promise to give us the answers. He just asks us to have faith. And the word says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, you capture my thoughts and the thoughts of every person here. And then, Lord, by faith we receive your word. And by faith, God, we receive the written word that it may fall deep into our heart and plant seeds that grow to bear fruit. By faith, this house was established. By faith, each person walked in the door this morning. And by faith, we will leave here empowered by your precious spirit and through the strength that we find in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray. Amen. Well, you know, I, I was in the Methodist church and, and my wife and I, uh, we, we had an incredible journey over 17 years being part of a denomination. But, but when I met her, I was a Baptist and she was an Episcopalian. And so when we got married, the Methodist church was just kind of a, a, a good landing place. We kind of met in the middle, didn't we, honey? And then after we, got, after we got married, she just became in charge and I do what she tells me to. Amen, every man? But in the Methodist church and in our denomination, we have this thing called the itinerant program, which basically means if you're an appointed clergy person within the denomination, you serve at the pleasure of your bishop. I'm so thankful that I serve now at the pleasure of Jesus Christ. Amen. But our bishop was a wonderful and a godly man. But, but what that meant is that every single year we faced the uncertainty of would we be appointed at our local church or would we be reassigned somewhere in a geographical area to serve. And it's not a conversation. It, it is a statement. They tell you you're moving and you move. And, and so for us, where we are in this season in our life and where we found ourselves in 2018 is that we were looking to rent another home here in Gulf Breeze because the one that we had been in for five years wasn't available anymore. The people were moving from Ohio and coming in. And so I found myself, and you guys probably don't know this, but it's really hard to rent a house in Gulf Breeze. And I was on Zillow, and, and the anxiety began to come over me, and I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be homeless. What are we going to do? We, we've got to have a house and it was very clear. It was just like an impression. As I was on Zillow, God said, buy a house. And I'm like, but Lord, you know, I mean, we move all the time. I mean, you understand this, right? And the Lord said, buy a house. And so we began the journey to find a home to purchase and to buy. And it's even harder to find a house to buy when you're on a preacher's income because you've got a very small window of opportunity 
And it seems like there's this big gap between like affordable houses and the multi-million dollar houses. And now I'm praying one day that God so blesses me that way. But for the time being, I had to find something affordable. And so we began a journey. We began a journey looking for a home. And you know, one of our family's life verses has been Jeremiah 29, 11. That's a pretty good verse, isn't it? And if you've, ever, if you've never heard it, it's simply just this promise from God. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans of good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. And if you've never heard that text or that verse, just walk through Hobby Lobby. It's printed on everything they sell there. But where things got real for us is when God said, I want you, Sean, to sit in chapter 29, and I want you to meditate on the chapter in context. Because it's easy to pull a verse out that we like and plug it into life. It's much harder to look at the passage in context and to understand what God's truly trying to say to his people. And so we see ourselves in Jeremiah chapter 29, where, where we're reading a letter that is written to those that had been exiled, meaning God's people had been taken from their homeland and they'd been placed in Babylon. Now I've always taught and I teach people that when we see God's people in Babylon or we see God's people in Egypt, when we see any form of God's people being oppressed and living in captivity, it is, it is a foreshadowing of what our life is like here on earth when we live in captivity oppressed by our enemy, Satan. Because friends, Satan is quite comfortable with allowing you to live in the land that you're in as long as he can take captive every thought and take captive your ability to operate in faith. But li listen to what Jeremiah says, starting in the fourth verse of chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, meaning the God of angels' armies, the God of Israel to all who were carried away. Hear that? God's writing and speaking to all the people that were carried away captive, who he calls to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And God says he caused it. Why would God cause this? Because, because in the midst of adversity, God wants to use his people to do something good. And sometimes in our greatest pain comes the greatest blessing and the biggest testimony. And we don't even realize we're witnessing to the world. But God calls this. And, and verse 5 is where God began to just open up and change my whole thought process of our calling and everything the Lord was doing in our life in 2018. He said, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat of their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters and that you may be increased, increased there and not diminished. Now, I'm a transplant to Gulf Breeze. I was born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama, but we moved here almost eight years ago. And, and, and I read this, and, and, and what the Lord spoke to me and said is, I want you to increase where I've placed you. I want you to expand. I, I want you to enlarge the territory. Another synonym, another, another way to look at the word increase would be to, to magnify a situation. How many believe that God has called you to live here in this community or he's placed you where you work or go to school or in your relationships and in your friendships so that you can magnify him? You bring glory and honor to the throne through the life that we live and by the faith that we have. 
And as many times as I read this passage, it just jumped off of me like never before that, that God was telling us to plant roots, build a home, and to plan to stay. But then verse 7 is where it got real and it got hard. And seek the peace of the city where I have called you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Another translation says, seek the welfare of the city that I've placed you. And when you seek the welfare of the city that God has called you to, the place that God has placed you, whether it's your city or your job, wherever it is you find God placing you, when you pray diligently and seek the welfare of that place, God says he'll seek yours. That's a promise. That's a contractual scripture agreement with God that if we'll do our part, he'll take care of the rest because you can skip down and then he says this promise, for I know the thoughts and the plans that I have towards you. And their thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and hope. My friends, that's a promise we can hang our hat on. Amen. So our family began a journey. And we began to look for a house. And yes, it was really hard to buy a house. We made offers on houses and people would come in. And five offers would come in like, you know, an hour later. And we lost every single time. And we began to kind of get despaired. And, and then out of the blue, after like we felt like we were losing hope, um, we, we ended up getting a phone call from our realtor in a little cottage down the street at 253 Fairpoint Drive. It came on the market. And it came on the market, and it was a little higher than what we wanted to pay because we knew we were going to have to do some work for it. And so we just made an offer on the home, and it was a low offer. And I asked for some furniture that was in the house, and, and we asked the homeowner to pay the closing cost for us. And, and, you know, and, and here, this homeowner had turned down two offers before ours that were higher, and she accepted our offer. So we knew, okay, God has opened this door and this is a cute little home and we're going to do a remodeling job because see, before I was a minister, I worked in the construction business and I know or remember just a little bit about construction. And so our family decided that we would do the work ourselves and renovate our home because that was the way we could afford to be able to move into this place. And, and so we, bought, we, we went under contract with the house and everything in life seemed to be like falling into place. And then, lo and behold, in the midst of all of it, my wife, Marilee, had a routine doctor's appointment where she went and had a mammogram. And then we got the call back that they needed to come back and they wanted to take another look, which resulted in a biopsy, which resulted in to walking into the oncologist's office and to hear the words, you have cancer. In the middle of designing a home, in the middle of having to move, and it seems like the whole world unraveled. Mary was 37 years old, and right at her 38th birthday, she had a bilateral mastectomy. And so I think probably, what, 11 days from your diagnosis, about 14 days from her diagnosis, we were in the hospital having major surgery. Three children Life was chaotic, and, and Marilee came home, and after that, a week and a half went by, and she passed not one, but two pulmonary embolisms, and was taken, placed in ICU, 
at Gulf Breeze Hospital, only for us to find out there that she had the Widowmaker in her abdomen that was loose, and she had to be rushed, stat, to Big Baptist, where there they did an emergency procedure to put a filter in in hopes to stop the clot. This was in 2018, so friends, for me, 2020 has got nothing on 2018. Amen? I'm just like, bring it on, 2020. But our world was upside down. They moved merrily from her regular room, and they placed her in palliative care. And here we are in this hospital with my wife in palliative care and three children. As a father, I had to go home and try to explain to them what was going on with Mama. Now, I wish I could take credit for praying my wife into health, but I think my kids did it because they were scared to death they were going to be left with their daddy. (laughs) How are we going to eat and who's going to take care of us, daddy? But we, friends, did the only thing that we knew how to do. We activated our faith in the spiritual realm through prayer. We called the old faithful prayer warriors and we put people on the speakerphones and we, we went to people that we knew that would lock arms and go to war in the spiritual realm, petitioning heaven and asking for Mary's life to be spared and to be healed. We literally went in, in one day's time from them getting ready to take her for another procedure because her oxygen was falling drastically low to supernatural prayer and her walking out of that room and down the hallway the same day. And then she walked out of the hospital three days later and came home and stayed home, amen? But in the midst of all this, we somehow managed to do an addition, remodel a home, and it ended up being worse than we thought it was, so we ended up gutting it all the way back to the studs, somehow figured out how to keep our job going, and life was just this whirlwind. And finally, when it felt like things were going to be normal, you ever been there? Where it's been like so much, I just, just give me one normal day, God. Well, if that's all you ask for, that's all he's going to give you. But we were in that moment where we finally moved into our home and we were at so much peace. And I was, I was so blessed and touched by a young lady named Grace in the traditional service this morning. She got up and read a passage in Deuteronomy and, and she, she read the word of God and she read the passage and said, you know, mark the doorpost. And write on your home and dedicate it to God. And, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but, but when we moved into our house, we as a family wrote all over, our script, all over our studs. We wrote all over our foundation and we made declarations to God. We took a Bible and buried it in the wall. And, and so on that rock, we established our home. And so the night we moved in, we began to pray together. And Marilyn and I were praying and asking God to bless our home, asking him to use the home, to send our children's friends to us. Let it be a place where the youth would love to hang out. Let it be a place where kids in Gulf Ridge property would just come and just flourish. And we prayed this very specifically, and we used the word covenant. You know, God's a covenant God. And a covenant is not like a contract. A covenant requires two parties to do their part. It's a promise. It's an irrevocable promise. The covenants that God has made with each and every one of us that are promised in his word. And so we use the word covenant. And I don't know why, but I remember saying, God, if there's a child that needs a safe home, bring them to us. Now, guys, I I know I don't have a clock 
I can't see one. So if I start running out of time, just do this. So I'll know. And, and we prayed that prayer and we got up and we went about our day the next morning. And then that afternoon, um, we were going up to Wednesday night dinner at the church. And there, my wife was backing out of the driveway and I was walking to my car. And she's in the car doing sign language. You know, she's through the windshield and she's got this distressed look. And, and Marilyn and I have been together since junior high school. So, like, we know each other really, really well. And so I'm looking at her and I'm like, what? I mean, you know, what's, and, and she's pointing, and I look, and there's a man running across the street. There's this young guy, he runs through our yard, and he's running across the street into Woodland Park, and he had a wallet in his hand and a cigarette, and I thought, oh, he stole my wife's cigarettes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she doesn't smoke. But I thought, oh my gosh, this guy took my wallet out of my car. And so I chased him across the street to Woodland Park. And she said, I'm going down to the police department to tell him what's going on because that guy doesn't look right. And I said, okay, you going to go do that? And y'all, I walk into Woodland Park and here's this broken young individual that's got tattoos and he looks disheveled and, and, and he looked like maybe he could be under the influence of something. And he's sitting there and he's this broken soul on this bench. And he looks at me and he says, yo, partner, do you have a light? And I said, I do, but I don't think it's the one you're asking for. And I introduced myself and I said, may I please sit down next to you? And so I sat on this bench at Willen Park and we began to unpack a lot of stuff. And he proceeds to tell me that the reason he was running and the reason he was so upset and so mad is that he had gone to Walmart to buy stuff to make key lime pie because he'd recently been released from incarceration and he wanted a key lime pie and he was walking down the street and he says, and I walked past that big Methodist church and somebody called the police on me there and the police pulled me over and surrounded me on Fairpoint Drive. And I said, oh, well, did you know I was the Baptist pastor in town? That's supposed to be a joke, guys. My wife told me not to try to joke. I didn't have the heart to tell him that that was my church. And I certainly didn't have the heart to tell him that my wife was at the police department telling on him also. Because we assumed. There's danger in assumptions, isn't there? We, we do so much better when we get to know one another. And when we can work through our differences. And when the common denominator is faith and trust and love. But that moment in time, I want to tell you, I call that moment in time the bench of obedience. Because I had a split second decision to just ignore the guy, realize it wasn't my wallet, and walk away. Or I could stop and take the time to sit and to listen and get to know this fella. And I am proud to say that I did tell him the truth that that was our church. And I apologize that someone called the police on him. And, and we took him to Wednesday night dinner and he ate with our family. And, and we got to know him and he came out to our ministry several times. But to fast forward the story, about six months later, he and his girlfriend, they came driving, riding by on bicycles on the 4th of July of... Um, 2018 and they stopped and they proceeded to tell us that they were having a baby and they were so excited and in the minute they told me that it was just like that gut kick you know it just it felt bad and I thought to myself you guys don't need to be bringing a child into the world your life's a mess and they had another child that had already been taken by the state and it, it was just a bad situation all the way around and, and as sometimes in addiction and with addicts, there were seasons where I would talk to them and seasons that we, went, we would not. 
But on October the 4th of 2019, we got a phone call in the upwards of around 11 o'clock at night. And it was the father. And he was on the phone and he was telling me that his baby was just born. And that they were at the NICU at Sacred Heart. And they wanted me to come up there right then and do a blessing over the baby in the NICU. And confused and trying to figure out what was going on, I, I inquired to say, you know, is, is the baby about to pass away? What's the urgency with the whole blessing? And he goes, no, I, I just want to bless him. And I'm like, okay, well, can maybe we do that tomorrow, like during normal business hours? And so we agreed, and that evening, uh, on October the 5th, I went to the hospital. And I went to hold the baby, meet the baby, talk to the family, and uh, pray with them. And as I'm holding this little baby, this little four-pound, just little bitty thing, they casually just ask me, and they say, you know, hey, we were kind of hoping that um, you guys could help us with the baby. And I said, you know, I don't understand. What do you mean? And they said, well, the state has already been here, and they've said they're going to take him when he's released from the hospital. So we're hoping maybe you could just, you know, take him and just leave the hospital with him. And, and I was like, you know, it doesn't work that way, guys. And to be honest with you, I told him no, that I didn't think my wife and I could help in that season. So 22 days went by with the baby being in the hospital, and I got this frantic 911 phone call. You know, it's kind of calls where like somebody will call you and they hang up, they don't leave a voicemail, and they just keep calling. And I had like five of those, and when I answered, it was the father. Just hysterical that the state had taken the baby when he was released from the hospital. And so they asked me, will you go to court with us the next day? Because what I learned is that if a child's removed from the home, by the state in Florida, there's a what they call a 24-hour emergency placement hearing. And so we went. I went to the court over in Okaloosa County the next day, and I'm there at the hearing. And, you know, I mean, I know if we're being real with each other, we've all pulled the preacher card at some point in time, right? You know, I only use it when I'm trying to get out of speeding tickets. <laughs> and the only reason I've ever really sped and, and I've never had a problem with it as a pastor is I, I can't get a CDL so I don't ever have to drive the church bus. Hallelujah. Amen. Because <laughs> I know how you church folks are. You're like, hey, just get the pastor to drive the bus for us. And I can't do that. But we were in court and this couple, they began to, every time they had a chance to speak, they would say, well, but you don't understand our preacher's here. He knows we're a good person. Our pre they, were just, they were playing the pastor card, and I'm thinking to myself, you guys have been to church like four times since I've known you. And I think out of frustration, the state attorney just said these words, well, unless your preacher is willing to help you with the baby and go through the process to become non-relative placement, you don't have an option, and the baby's awarded to the state. And the father, he turned, he made prayer hands, and he knelt and squatted and said, please help me. Friends, I'm not a crier for the most part. I held it together and I got out of that courthouse and I got in my car in Okaloosa County and I put it in the wind headed back to Gulf Breeze and I cried the whole way back. And when I got on the three-mile bridge and I looked out across the expansive bay and I was coming into our town, that Jeremiah chapter 29 began to, to, to well up in my spirit and my soul where God had said, build houses and plant and grow and raise your children and increase. Do not diminish. 
And I shouted, God, what are you doing? I mean, I shouted it, you know, as loud as I could. What are you doing? And he just simply said, fulfilling my part of the covenant. I wish it would have been that easy. I went inside and I I told Marilee, I said, I think we're supposed to take this baby. She said, I don't think we're supposed to take that baby. (laughs) And if you've ever disagreed with your wife, you know, there's, there's something in the middle that happens called arguing. And I think it's okay to be real and to say that that's where we were in that moment. But the social worker called like before I could even get home and I'm in the driveway and she's trying to set up a meeting to come and see us. And so, you know, Marilyn and I, we talked through it and, and we just kind of landed on this place of agreement where we were like, you know, we don't know what we're supposed to do. So let's just walk towards this. And if this is not of God, then we want the Lord to close the door. And so we put it in God's hands again and said, Lord, you know, this is in your hands. If you want us to do this, keep the doors open. If you don't close them, that Revelation passage in Revelation 3, 21 and 22 For the door that God opens, let no man close. And the door that man opens and God closes. You know, it was very clear. We just put that passage in front of us and used Holy Scripture to determine where we were going to go. Now, I had been privy to a lot of this young man and this young lady's criminal history because they shared it with me. But they shared it with me in confidence as a pastor. And so I kept that information to myself And when the social worker shows up at our house, she walks in and sits down and she goes, well, I got the the mother and the father to sign their releases so that I can talk about their criminal history with you guys. And I sat there in silence. And friends, if there was ever a moment in time where I should have lied to my wife, it was right then. Because when they shared the criminal history with my wife and she began to hear of the stories of this family, fear took over. I've been with her long enough that I know mentally she left the room, but she was physically present, but it was over and done. That baby wasn't coming into our house. And when the social worker left, Marilee looked at me and she said, did you know that? I should have went, mm-mm, I didn't know any of that. But I shared with her that, you know, hey, they entrusted me with something. And I believe that spiritually I, I had to hold that. I couldn't share it with you. And so I got one of those good old-fashioned don't-you-ever conversations. And so we, is it fair to say we got in an argument that night? Yeah, we, we had a, we had a good old-fashioned knockdown drag-out. And she was saying, this baby is not coming into our house. I cannot put my children at risk. And I get it. It's a real thing. So what do we do? What do you, friends, what do you do when you're at life's crossroads and you don't know which way to go and you're at odds with your spouse or your friend or with your family? How do you overcome that? You go to prayer. You go to God and His Word. Because God will speak to us. And if you don't know how God will speak to you, read the Bible and the Bible will begin to read you. Holy Scripture will guide you and direct you. And so we went to prayer. But yet this time, my wife was in control of the prayer, and it went something like this. God, you know me. And you know that I'm scared. And I need a sign. We're talking like Gideon fleece type signs. And she said, and it needs to be a neon green sign so clear 
that I can't dis- doubt it and I can't dispute it. And if you don't show me a neon green sign that's very clear that I'm supposed to take this baby, then I'm not budging. The ball's in your court, she told the Lord. And then I'm sitting over there and I'm like, a neon green sign? Good Lord, woman, do you think they're going to put one in a liquor store flashing, hey, take the baby? And she said, well, God can do that if he has to. And then her mother had passed away several years before. And as we were going to bed and turning off the lights, she whimpered and said, I wish I could just talk to my mom. Now, I went to bed mad. I'm like, neon green sign, good Lord of mercy. I mean, you can't listen to the Spirit of God and let Him prompt you. You got to have a sign. (laughs) So the next morning, you know, I get up and, you know, I'm, I'm in deep meditation, reading the Word of God, you know, connecting with Him in communion. Have you ever been doing that and then all of a sudden you find yourself and you're scrolling on Facebook? You know, it's like, how did I go from like reading Holy Scripture to I'm now reading somebody's timeline and I'm following what they're doing and I'm stalking them? Satan's crafty, isn't he? I mean, I have to like leave my phone like in the other room and I still feel myself wanting to go get it. But Marilee was gone taking kids to school. She was running all over town and I'm sitting there and I broke that holy moment and I'm on Facebook and I'm scrolling and I look and I'm like, oh my gosh. Will y'all show the slide? My sister-in-law, somewhere around the time of us praying that night, changed her profile picture on Facebook, unbeknownst to the prayer or anything else that was going on. And it was a picture of my mother-in-law, who's deceased, with a green earth, reading the caption, One Less Orphan. And my wife had told God the night before, unless you give me a neon green sign, and unless it is very clear, I'm not budging. And so when Marilee walked in the door, I said, I told you signs work. (laughs) I didn't say that, but I just was laughing and overjoyed. And I said, Marilee, you're not going to believe this. Come look at it. And she takes the phone and she's like, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. Uh, you know, I think we had like good four uh-uhs. And then she's like, did you tell my sister? I'm like, I didn't tell your sister anything. And friends, my wife looked at me and she said, let's go get the baby. So we passed all the background checks. The only thing that came back on me were my speeding tickets. And they said that really wasn't an issue as long as I didn't drive the baby too much. And I'm like, no problem with that. And, and I promised my wife, I said, I'm going to help with this one. I'll do anything that you need me to do. And she's like, you are a lie. I had three children and you didn't help with the first three. I'll help with this one, I promise. And so we called the state and we said, you know, we're good. We're going to keep walking towards this. Fast forward, we, we go to court and we're in court and we think we're walking into a slam dunk. We agreed to be non-relative placement for the baby to help the family reunify and and to help them go through their recovery process and then be able to take their baby back. And so we go to court, and to our surprise, the guardian at litem is arguing that she doesn't want us to receive the baby because of the criminal history and because she thought we were naively getting into something. And so all of a sudden, we walked into what we thought was a slam dunk, and it ended up being some people forced and some against us. 
and we're sitting there in court and they are arguing back and forth and everybody's speaking and all this. You know, it's like a whirlwind and we're just sitting there and we don't know what's going on. And the judge silenced the courtroom. He just said, everyone quit talking. And he pushed off of his bench and he crossed his arms and he closed his eyes and he sat there for about three minutes in total silence. And I closed my eyes and I'm like, God, okay, we've been obedient. We've listened to you. We're at this point. It all comes down to this right here. And when I opened my eyes, she's smiling. People are turning around and thumbs up in me. And I'm like, what? And they're like, he said he granted the motion. He's given us the baby. I missed the most important moment of the whole thing. Because I was so deep in prayer and so afraid. And so the court placed the baby with us on December the 23rd of 2018. And we started a journey with the family. And the further we went in this journey, the more we realized that things weren't looking good for them to be able to reunify. And in our former ministry, we, we had a really hard season February last year with our youth minister. And it was a really, really tough season as a whole. And, and the same week, I got a phone call from the caseworker that told us that the mother and father both had been arrested with felony charges, one for trafficking heroin, and that because we were non-relative placement selected by the family, this, this arrest would usurp our agreements with the court and that, that it was their will to place the baby somewhere else. And so Marilyn and I began the journey of hiring an attorney and, and we filed what you call a motion to intervene because by this time, this, he felt as if he was our, already our child. And we filed this motion and friends, we went to court on March the 16th, and my wife and I sat in that courtroom, and we watched a mother incarcerated and a father on the run, and we watched this mother sign her parental rights over to us, and I saw the pain in her as she did it. And then I remembered we're here on 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And here in this moment, there were parents that so loved their child and they knew that they couldn't offer him what he needed and they gave him. And we walked out of that hearing that day with a motion to intervene that was filed, non-contested, and then COVID hit. I'm sure y'all have heard about COVID. And the courts shut down and everything shut down and we went from March all the way through June with silence, no hearings, nothing granted, and it's the most stressful season in our life. And then God, just when you think you've like trust God and you think you're at peace and you're like, we can do this, we'll adopt another baby. There's nothing like being 60, having someone graduate high school. I can rock kindergarten at 50, this is good. We'll figure it out, right? Just as all of that happens, I'm in the backyard and I'm praying and it's in June, and then I hear that familiar impression, that whisper. And the Lord said, Sean, when are you and Marilee going to move forward with Isaiah's house? When are you going to do the things that I put on your heart a decade ago? When are you going to move into the orphanage ministry? When are you going to fight and advocate for the children that I've called you to fight for and advocate for in the world? And I gave God my standard rote answer. And that was, you know, God, when our children go to college, that's when Marilee and I are going to go in the mission field. That's when we're going to start working and doing something else. But for right now, you know, we, we need like to have an income and we, you know, things need to be safe. 
But we'll do it when the kids get in school. Because I got two that are close to college now. In the grand scheme of things, and you think how fast life goes with your kids. And the Lord reminded me, you're adopting a baby that I gave to you. You'll be 62 years old when Chance graduates high school. How are you going to go and do all the things I've called you to do at the age 62? Friends, I just kind of collapsed and like started bawling and crying out there in my banana tree garden and just like, just with the Lord. I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, trust me. Well, I trust you, Lord. Okay, well then leave your job. I'm like, whoa, hold up, God. In case you haven't noticed, there's a pandemic. You know, we're adopting a baby, and adopting a baby is kind of like getting a mortgage. You don't change anything in the waiting period. You don't go get a credit card and buy a bunch of furniture. And the same thing with an adoption. You have to keep your status the same. But the Lord said, I want you to leave your denomination at the completion of seven years, which was July the 1st. I mean, God could have given me like months to meditate on this, right? No, he pushed me down to just a few weeks. But the Lord was so clear and it was so evident. And I said, but what about the adoption? What about our income? I mean, all these what's. And God said, do you trust me? Because I'm not going to tell you anything else unless you practice what you've been preaching. And walk by faith, from faith to faith. So I submitted my resignation. We left in good standing with our denomination, and we stepped away. And I called it retirement because I, I, I figure in the kingdom of God, you never really retire, right? So if he forced me to a break, I was going to take at least a few months of retirement. And so really, since July the 1st, we really haven't been employed anywhere but friends God is so good we haven't missed a dime and not only haven't we missed a dime but when our adoption finally came around and when the courts finally got up and running for us chance turned one years old on October the 4th and on October the 7th we finalized his adoption and he's officially Isaiah Chance York and God had given us the word Isaiah's house in 2010, when I was in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and saw the needs of children in that country. And God put it on our heart to make a difference and to do something with our lives for his kingdom. And so Isaiah's house had been written and inscribed in our hearts long before we ever met Chance and brought him into our home. And I had a painting that was in our den, and on the back of that painting, I had written on that painting that this painting will hang in the first Isaiah's house when we rescue our first faceless child. We made a memorial and we wrote it on stone to the Lord and that painting of the angel has hung in our home for 10 years. And Chance was our first faceless child except this time he had a name and it was Isaiah. And so the day of the adoption... Our attorney calls us, and I had been trying to find out how much the adoption was going to cost. And I was starting to really sweat on it. And I, I said, you know, I've got to be able to move some money. I've got to sell some stuff. I, I've got to, you know, I need time so that I can get the money in the account. And they called us and said, you know, the attorney said something like this. I, I, I'm not really a big faith person. I know you're a pastor, and I know you pray. She said, but I've never seen a journey. And I've never had a story like this in all that I've done and so I want you to know, 
our firm has decided to pro bono your entire adoption. And it took me right back to that garden where God said, do you trust me? I need you to step out in faith, abandon everything that the world says is right and safe. And I need you to activate the faith and I'll take care of the rest. We took a chance, literally. We took baby chance, but we also have taken a chance and stepped out to operate in that supernatural realm with God. And we believe, we truly believe that part of our calling for Santa Rosa County and Escambia County is to come alongside other families that desire to adopt and to foster and not just support them as Christians in prayer and and in friendship. Yes, that's important, but we want to put fuel to the fire and we want to be at the agency that helps pay for adoptions and to pay forward what has been given to us. The gift of life, the gift of the sanctity of a baby and and protect that life and put children in the hands of well-deserving families in our area. And not preach about what we hate, but actually put our faith in action and fight what we hate with good. Amen. We're working right now with a family that's fostering. And I believe in my heart that despite their journey, And despite what it looks like in the world, they're going to be our first success story where we help pay for their adoption and give them the resources they need for their legal battles. We took a chance. And I want to ask you a question right now in this room. What is God calling you to do? What does the Lord have on your heart? What What is before you where God needs you to step out in faith? What is it that the Lord needs you to take a chance on? Because when, when you activate that faith and when you step out in that faith, the Lord does the rest. 29 verse 12 says, After God says, For I know the plans I have for you, for future and a hope, it continues in verse 12 to say, When you call upon me and you go and pray to me, I will listen to you. God says when we go and when we pray and when we call upon him, he listens to us. I know for a lot of us, it seems like we've been praying the last few weeks and God didn't listen. Or maybe you're saying, well, God listened. It doesn't matter where you are in the deal. But here, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who is the president. It doesn't matter who is the governor. It doesn't matter who is the mayor because Jesus is Lord and he sits on the throne. Amen. And he's going to be on that throne today, tomorrow, and forevermore. When you call upon me and you go and pray to me, I will listen to you. And verse 13 says, and when you seek me, you find me. If you haven't seen God, seek him, look for him. He says, you find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, he'll be present to you. And as we close, I want to just share with you that I believe in my heart that my journey wouldn't be possible. Isaiah's house wouldn't have come to fruition without the support of godly brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe to give honor where honor is due. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says this, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. Paul's talking and, 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 and telling Timothy that, that the elders who've been pointed over you, meaning your pastor, your leader, who, who are worthy of being counted honorable 
And they labor in the word and the doctrine, meaning that they pour everything they've got into Sunday morning to bring the word of God to you, to, to take the seed, the hope of the truth, and put in your heart. And I believe that your pastor, Jeff, is worthy of honor. Amen? Uh, he, he teaches the word. He, he has a pastor's heart. And scripture says, for, in verse 18, for scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while they tread out the grain, for the labor is worthy of their wages. Whatever you're paying, Pastor Jeff, it isn't enough. And he didn't tell me to say that, I promise you. But what that passage means is that the ox would tread out the grain, separating the chaff in the grain house, leaving behind the seed that could be planted and to bear crops and reproduce. Your pastor's job is to labor with you, to step on your toes, to say the things that are tough and painful so that he can get rid of the worldliness in us. That's the whole purpose of preaching, so that it leaves behind the seed that, that your pastor and God desires for you to take and to plant and to bear much fruit. And you plant that seed wherever God has placed you. But your pastor, this past year, opened himself up, made himself available for me so that we could eat lunch throughout the year so that I could call him and ask him questions. And I want to tell you that your pastor was a pastor to me. And he helped me make decisions of when to leave and when to stay and to do what was right. How should I communicate as a man of God? What is the right and the wrong way to do things? And Pastor Jeff and Pastor Robert Pooley here in the community, those two brothers in Christ, they walked with me all the way to the day I resigned. And they've been with us every day since. And I want you to know you're in safe hands with Pastor Jeff. And I, I'm so thankful for him and thankful that he brought me into this house today. And, and in closing, James 1.5 says this, If any of us, and if any of you, if me, if we lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Man, thank God that he gives us wisdom generously, abundantly, without finding fault in us. Amen? And how do you do that? How do you go to God and ask for wisdom? One of the simplest ways to do it is in his word. But the other way you do it is the Bible says iron sharpens iron. You get around other brothers and sisters in Christ. They've got the same walk. They have the proven track record. They, they may not be perfect, but they certainly have the faith to stand alongside you where you are in your situation. And for me, I got wisdom from getting around your pastor and having him walk and journey with me. So our family's taking a chance. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't know what a week, one month, one year. But I know this, with God, all things are possible. And he doesn't need us to be smart and educated and have it figured out. You don't have to create a master plan. He is the master plan. Only thing God wants for me and you is obedience. And as we close, just a few weeks ago, I took chance and I walked across the street from our house and I went into Woodland Park and I'm sitting there and I'm swinging this baby that's not only changed my life but my wife's and my children's and I'm swinging my son and I looked and I saw that bench and I heard the words it started with obedience it started with willing to do something that maybe someone else didn't want to do and I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know what is on your heart. But all God needs is obedience.
And if you give him obedience, he can take the mess, he can take the brokenness, he can take the addiction, he can take whatever it is that's been trying to stop you and torture you and prevent you from living into the fullness. Because see, obedience releases the act of faith. The act of faith releases the power of God and he moves in and through us. But it starts with me and it starts with you. Each and every one of you young people in school, be obedient to the truth. Be obedient to God. Don't follow the crowd. Don't do the things that the rest of the school is doing. You don't have to be like everybody because God made you somebody. You're an original, amen? You are the hope. I heard it as everyone was leaving that the children of the hope, they're the future. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your children should be the reason that you do this. Your teenagers, you should sacrifice and lay down your desires. Whatever it takes to get the children of God in the house to receive the power of God and to release the obedience in their life, we should do it as a church. Amen? And I believe this church is headed in the right direction. So Father, I thank you and I praise you, God. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you release the power and the spirit of obedience, the authority that has been given to the believers. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, if it's not happening in heaven, I pray that it stops happening in this room. And Lord, whatever it is you're calling this church and these people to do, May they be so filled with the power and the authority that comes from Most High. And will you use Story Point and First Baptist as they're obedient to you, Lord, bless them. Pour out the blessings and may the storehouses overflow so that through obedience, those that can be trusted, those talents may be increased and poured out into this community, pressed down, shaken together and poured out for good measure. Bless every family. Bless every teenager in this room. Bless every child in the children's ministry. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And I just ask you to go and take a chance. God bless.